you are now listening to a brand new episode of Starfleet Escape Podcast, only on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, also known as the All hands, prepare for the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Stand by for transmission. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 21 and is being recorded on May 17th, 2013. Today's topic, Star Trek Into Darkness. I'm Aaron. And I'm Eric. This episode is brought to you by America Joy Print Shop, official sponsor of the Four-Eyed Radio Network. For high-quality business cards, flyers, banners, cut vinyl, and more, visit AmericaJoy.com. So, Eric. So, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So this episode is going to be a little different than our previous episodes uh, because of some scheduling conflicts. Uh, we're going to have to break up our conversation a little bit where me and Eric are going to start off having an awesome conversation about this movie. And then we'll have another awesome conversation with me and Marty uh, that <laughs> I will intertwine or at least put in after me and Eric talk. Yes. So, uh, Eric, you saw this on Wednesday. I did. I saw it during the um, uh, the fan sneak showing uh, that IMAX had, and it was pretty sweet. Uh, the The theater was absolutely packed. It was almost sold out. Mm. And what was cool about, um, I didn't even know that IMAX did this, but I guess they do it for all their films uh, that release in IMAX. They always show certain movies um, in certain cities, and you get like a, either a poster or some kind of a special thing hmm. uh, for, for each showing. And they were giving away uh, these really cool cool star trek into darkness uh, art prints it's a it's a very long uh poster so right. i grabbed one for me i grabbed one for you and marty and Thank you, i grabbed sir. i grabbed an extra one so yeah <laughs> i didn't even know i didn't even know they had a huge stack of them and a lot of people were grabbing them yeah. um and i i didn't even know that imax did that kind of thing so that's pretty awesome. I, I, for some reason, I thought that it was like something that you had to pay for, like something extra that you would have to pay for. Well, I know my my ticket and <laughs> my final ticket cost ended up being like eighteen dollars. Yeah. So I, I do think, and it's probably because it's IMAX 3D. But I, I do want to say that there's probably a little premium there for this fan sneak or whatever. But right. well worth it. In my right. Yeah, totally. Um, I saw it with Marty yesterday in uh, Boston, uh, the 8 o'clock showing. It wasn't as packed as I thought it would be, but mm-hmm. uh, there it's was still the, a Thursday night. Yeah, it was <laughs> a know? Thursday night, yeah. And there was the sneak uh, the night before, so it could have been most of the hardcore Trekkies saw it Wednesday. 
it, it was awesome because um, I, I wore my Andorian hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm going to wear that to every Star Trek theater, Fathom, whatever thing I go to. Right. Uh, but um, there was a family dressed in original series uniforms. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, the mom was in a gold tunic. The dad was in a uh, uh, blue medical uniform. And the kid was in a red shirt. <laughs> and they had the tricorders, the phasers, they had all of it. That's and awesome. That, yeah, that was, that was pretty pretty cool. Yeah. I, I didn't see any of that. <laughs> if <laughs> I was probably the most uh, dressed up person, and I just had a, a T-shirt with the Delta Shield and it said Star Trek across it. Yeah, I had um, I had this one shirt, I guess, uh, that was on T-Fury or, or one of those uh, websites. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's got these three T-Rexes, and they're in uh, the uniforms, and it says Star T-Rex, so it's like Star Treks. Right, yeah, I think that's the picture with you in... Uh, and Shatten, or uh, Bacula. Bacula, yeah, yeah, on the website. Yeah, oh, speaking of movies and Star Trek Into Darkness... Apparently, in my area, um, Mm -hmm. we have this one theater called uh, Hollywood Boulevard, and it's kind of like you can eat during the movie. It's like one of those types of places. Mm -hmm. Um, Next weekend, for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, William Shatner is going to be there, (laughs) and they're showing Wrath of Khan and Star Trek Into Darkness, double feature, and he's going to be there. Interesting. So I'm debating whether or not to go to that. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds pretty cool. I wonder if that uh, would give away the premise of the movie. Wait a minute. Before we say anything, uh-huh. I think we have to warn people that this will be a spoiler-heavy right. podcast. This will yeah. all be spoilers. We're, yeah. we're not censoring anything. This yeah, is- not holding back. Yeah, we we are doing a complete review. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, this will completely ruin it for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. So listen after, after yes. you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I I just wanted to throw that out there before we go any further into this. Yes, good, good, good. Do- before we go into <laughs> darkness. Oh, snap. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're, we're not going to do any news or anything like that, so let's just uh, dive into it. Yeah. Um, How do you want to do this? you want to do this, like, talk about the movie chronologically or just kind of talk um, about it? I don't know. I, I guess chronologically would give us the best... Structure? Structure, yeah. Unless you yeah. want to just jump at certain points that you thought were awesome or... Well, uh, maybe we can um, maybe we can talk a, a little bit about it and then um, do our analysis of the movie. Okay. So, okay, Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, the what I thought was pretty cool is that they opened up the movie mm-hmm. with um, kind of like a, basically an away mission. Right. Um, the planet Nibiru. Yeah, I believe that's how you say it. <laughs> Um, and basically Kirk and, uh, McCoy are being chased by, uh, natives of the planet mm-hmm. because Kirk stole this scroll thing that's important to their civilization. And it was basically a ruse just to get them all away from the volcano right. while they do their thing. Um, so yeah, they, uh, 
they're doing their thing. Um, mm-hmm. Sulu and um, Uhura are in a shuttlecraft, and they're lowering Spock into this volcano right. uh, to release a cold fusion device. Right. Which <laughs> I didn't know they were going to take that so literally. Right. right. Cold fusion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> They could have used a better term for that, not the best uh, technology. Um, well, uh, look at the last movie with Red Matter. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it was cool. They uh, they they were having troubles with the shuttlecraft, so they. Oh, sorry. That's okay. My stupid advanced. <laughs> it speaks to you. It does. It's like, it's been updated. Your advance has been updated. I'm like, shut up. I don't care. It'll happen automatically. So, yeah, um, the shuttle gets damaged by the heat of the volcano, mm-hmm. and um, which actually snaps the line that Spock's on, and Spock's in the middle of the volcano, and they can't beam him out without direct line of sight. So Kirk makes the decision to... Um, break the prime directive and show the ship, which is underwater, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. I guess. Um, They wouldn't have to worry about line of sight if they were already in space. Yeah. I don't know why they needed to get so close. Yeah. Yeah, It's like one one of those things that they thought was probably cool. (laughs) And that's the thing. How did they get the enterprise underwater without the natives seeing it in the first place? Right. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, they expose the enterprise and all the natives end up seeing it. Mm -hmm. They beam Spock out. Spock's like, you saved me, but what the hell? Right. And um, then the parting shot is the natives basically ditching the scroll, which I thought was funny. They just kind of tossed it aside mm-hmm. and started praying as the priest was drawing the shape of the Enterprise into the ground. And it's like, right. boom, Star Trek. Yeah, I thought it was awesome how it goes from that and then transitions uh, exactly into the shape of the actual enterprise as it's uh, flying off. That that was pretty cool. Yeah, I I really like that. And that uh, Nibiran or whatever mm-hmm. um, priest, he got he got the enterprise down pat. <laughs> like, yeah. like it yeah. looked exact. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um. So, w- what did you think about that whole opening sequence? Um. I thought it was a it was a good sequence. I mean, beyond the fact that it didn't make any sense that they would be underwater, um, yeah. it was cool. Uh, I I liked that Spock said the needs of the many away the needs of the few as he was in the volcano. Yeah, I, I thought I didn't feel that it was uh, forced, right? Um, unlike some a couple other moments <laughs> in this movie, right? Yeah. But um. No, it was, it was a very natural thing for him to say in that situation. And I, I, it's it was really good hearing Zachary Quinno as Spock say that. Yeah. Um, that was my, my favorite part of that opening sequence. I think um, my, my favorite shot of that sequence, mm-hmm. and maybe kind of moment, was 
Spock just like meditating and he had his arms oh. out. Like he was just ready to accept it. Right. And they bring that up later in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought, <laughs> I just yeah. thought that showed uh, Spock's character and, and, and his resolve in a pretty dangerous situation. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then um, we flash into, uh, Earth? No, actually, don't we open with Kirk in bed with uh, two alien women? Uh, no, no. We first actually um, <laughs> we do open on on Earth with um, uh, Thomas Harewood, oh, uh, right. which is a Starfleet officer, and his wife, and they kind of go to this uh, the Royal Children's Hospital because they're in London, mm-hmm. and I guess his daughter is sick with some kind of unknown illness right and um then this unknown individual approaches him and says i can save your daughter and then then we go to san francisco and kirk is in bed with two cation women yeah that was an interesting (laughs) scene um it was um because that was awesome (laughs) but no i i actually read an interview with um the actresses who played the cations Mm -hmm. um it was very brief like that was a blink or you miss it scene yeah um but from this interview i read they're they're twin sisters so that i I noticed that so that means spot or kurt got it on with not only alien women but alien twins (laughs) that's true unless their species is just meant to all look alike that is racist (laughs) oh whoa (laughs) my bad but um so I, I I read this interview with with the two actresses, and they said that they spent ten days on set, like perfecting the makeup. Um, and I guess did first of all, did you think any part of that scene was CGI? Um, I didn't, but the tales I figured were they weren't. They weren't really. Apparently, apparently they were animatronic, being controlled by two puppeteers on the set. And so this interview with, with the two actresses, they, um, they said that they were working not only with the makeup people, but they were working to perfect the movements with the puppeteers to make it look natural. Hmm. And so they spent 10 days on set for like maybe a three second scene. Yeah. That seems (laughs) a bit of overkill. But Uh, apparently they said that, um, they said that J.J. Abrams is that dedicated to every aspect of making this movie. Like it, it went to show them how dedicated mm-hmm. he was, and I think that's pretty cool. I, right. I don't know. I was hoping for a little more with the Cations, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he gets a call from Starfleet, and they're summoned by Christopher Pike, mm-hmm. who I, I loved in the first movie. Right, as did I. I, I think. And, uh, he was one of the best characters in the first movie. Definitely. Um, so Kirk thinks that they are going to be assigned Starfleet's first five year mission. Mm-hmm. And Spock doesn't think that's the case. And right. so, um, <laughs> so Pike ends up reading their logs and Kirk totally admits the whole 
situation on, on, on what happened with Spock. Well, that's because he had to. And the volcano. Yeah. <laughs> right. But Spock uh, didn't. He told the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, once Pike dismisses Spock, they um, he totally lays into Kirk. Mm-hmm. Yada, yada, that they are not... Um, Kirk loses his command of the Enterprise, but uh, he will be the first officer. Right. And... This isn't the first time that Kirk has been demoted. In the Prime Universe, he was also demoted from Admiral back to Captain. Yeah, so there there are some shades of the Prime timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know as, as we talk about this movie, um, there, there are many shades of the Prime Universe. So, um, so yeah, uh, they... Um, Pike says that uh, basically that Kirk is going to be given a tribunal and he will be returned to Starfleet Academy. Mm -hmm. And the head of Starfleet command is apparently Admiral Alexander Marcus who will be holding the tribunal. Right. Then we switch back to London. This, that same unknown man uh, uh, has this vial of his own blood and he places in a package with the Starfleet insignia ring that we saw in the first movie. Yes. And it's given to um, that Thomas Harewood that we saw in the beginning. Um, and after he fills his daughter's IV with the blood, gives her a kiss, then he goes to the Kelvin Memorial Archive, which I right. thought was a nice tribute to the first movie mm-hmm. uh, with, with the Kelvin. And, um, yeah, he, whatever this archive is, it probably a memory type alpha, uh, (laughs) memory alpha type of place. But, um, he sends this message off and drops this, that ring into the water and it blows up London or a a significant chunk of London. Yeah. Yeah, Building Yeah, or a block, you know, whatever. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) And so then we switch back to San Francisco and Kirk, big surprise, is at a bar. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, he's approached by Admiral Pike and it, I, I loved how it uh, shaded what happened in the first movie, mm-hmm. like the Pike and Kirk yeah. moment. I also appreciate the fact that uh, Pike was limping and had to use a cane. Yeah, showing that, you know, what happened in... Um, in the first movie kind of had lasting effects right. and that kind of hints at what happened to him in the prime universe that he was badly injured not right. as badly as what happened this time around in the alternate timeline right but um it, that he was still injured so again there's like echoes of of what's supposed to happen i guess yeah and uh yeah so Kurt or Pike tells Kirk that uh, he's going to be his first officer and that Spock is being transferred to the USS Bradbury. And um, yeah, and then they get a call from Starfleet and they're summoned to the Daystrom building, which is home of Starfleet command. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, from there, um, basically all of Starfleet's top, uh, ships that are in the in, in the, the sector in the sector, yeah, are uh, the captains and their first officers are there for this meeting. Yeah, and Kirk uh, mentions uh, that he, 
why would um, Harrison target uh, a uh, library? Yeah, um, yeah. So they reveal that uh, John Harrison is a Starfleet officer that's gone rogue, mm-hmm. and I, I think Kirk brought up a good point. Like, why would he target a library just for? public information that anyone can access. Right. And then uh, the train of uh, thought that Kirk has, uh, he realizes that because of this explosion, all of Starfleet's, well, like we said, top brass, top brass are going to be in this room this one particular one time. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's like, dun, dun, dun. And then this uh, jump ship comes out of nowhere and starts shooting the hell out of the place. Right. Um, and it's too bad because Admiral Pike gets shot. Right. And Spock pulls him to safety. Um, Spock's uh, captain, uh, Captain Abbott of the bribery, uh, got killed mm. as well. Um, so Kirk kind of is trying to shoot the jump ship. And he throws this fire hose along with the rifle (laughs) that gets sucked into the jump ship's intake, which I thought was awesome. That was pretty cool. Yeah. It it shows, uh, you know, Kirk being on his feet, you know, thinking. Yeah. Who would think? Right. Who would think, oh, let me grab this fire hose and throw it at a ship. Yeah. And um, so I thought it was a pretty cool sequence. Um, but as uh, Pike is dying, Spock actually mind melds with right. Pike. Um, and then Kirk arrives as uh, Harrison is beamed out of of the ship. And it's weird because suddenly Harrison is beamed onto another right. planet. Oh, what could that be? Trans warp beaming. Yeah, don't get me started on trans warp beaming. I uh, <laughs> Um, it's, it's something that we never had in the prime universe. And while Spock in the Spock in the prime timeline in the first movie said that Scotty invented the equation, mm-hmm. it's like, well, why didn't we ever see that in action in our prime universe if Scotty worked it out? Right. Now we kind of did see it, uh, one time with that Ferengi, uh, that was going after Picard. Yeah, but that was the only time, and that seemed. Uh, and wasn't there wasn't there that one episode where they were experimenting? I thought there was an episode of Star Trek where they were experimenting with some type of um, something like transwarp beaming, but it ended up not working out for some reason. I thought that there was uh, an episode about that. I know there's there was a species that used like this. Uh, weird type of like dimensional shift shifting um but that caused damage to tissue right so i hope that they put some kind of um limitation in the next movie about this transwarp beaming right um, scotty if, does no oh, go ahead because if they did have this transwarp beaming they could have used it in the damn Star Trek video game instead of having to target these pads to shoot 20 meters. But anyway. Yeah, that's weird. Um, 
Oh, I, I, I do have a question, though, because um, yep. I know you played the game. I know you finished the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I must have missed something. It was a very short line of dialogue. But when they were going to Kronos, I'm kind of jumping ahead a bit here. Yep. But when they were going to Kronos and they were saying, oh, we need to take the blah, blah, blah shuttle that we acquired on this mission. Yeah. And I didn't know if that was a mission that happened in the game that they were referring to or what. It, it didn't. Um, actually, Marty picked up on that, and he told me what it was. It okay, was, was it? <laughs> it was from uh, the comic book series. Oh, which I have not read. I haven't read either. And it involves mud, but not the mud that we know. <laughs> it, it's a half-human, half-Bajoran uh, female uh, trader named Mud. Okay, so a little bit different. Right. Um, and that I guess that shuttle was confiscated from her during that mission. Oh, okay. Because it was such a brief line like in the dialogue, and I... For some reason, I couldn't hear it that well, like what they were saying, because mm-hmm. you know IMAX or whatever. Right. But um, I was like, wait, is that something that happened in the game? What was that? So actually, you know what? At the very end of the game, they they say that they're going to go to that planet in the opening scene of the movie for a humanitarian mission. Okay. Uh, so that kind of ties it in, all in. Yeah, ties it in. Okay, nice. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so um, apparently uh, Scotty investigated the wreckage, found the transwarp beaming device, and um, found out that they ended up on Kronos. Right. And so they tell Emerald Marcus, and best moment, like fan moment for me, when they were panning across Marcus's desk, Mm -hmm. the evolution of the ships and we see the Enterprise NX-01, Archer's Enterprise. Right. I was like, yes! Like, <laughs> like, so, you, woo-hoo. so you know that it's at least part of the timeline. Yeah, and, right. and that's the thing. Because it's like exact, right? Uh-huh. It was like ex- an exact model. It wasn't modified it, at all, it, right? It was pretty much the model kit that I have. Right. Um, sitting there, and they also showed that um, that ringed ship that was before yep. Uh, yep. the NX-01. Mm-hmm. So awesome! We we do have confirmation that everything in this timeline, the real divergence point, is when um, when Nero entered our reality. And I know that kind of doesn't explain why the Kelvin and yeah, yeah. you know the ships look different, but yeah. we really didn't know much about what happened between Archer's time and Kirk's time anyway. Yeah, right. aside from the ten years before uh, with Pike and in the pilot episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to give it give the first movie that leeway. Okay. But for me, that moment, I was like the NX01, like oh my <laughs> god, yes, like. Yeah. And you would think that, um, you know, because J.J. has said, J.J. Abrams has said that, you know, he's not a big Trekkie. So mm-hmm. whatever crew member, like the set dressers, the prop makers, whoever that did that, yeah. big props to you for including <laughs> the NX-01. And I know they mentioned Archer's Beagle right. in the first movie, but I, I thought that was a, a really nice tie-in. Definitely. Anyways, uh, Marcus <laughs> says that... Um, uh, that Harrison uh, 
bombed a secret facility of Starfleet called Section 31. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, which was researching weapons and tactics for a potential fight with the Klingons. And um, so Marcus is convinced that a war with, with the Klingons is going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. And they basic, he basically gives uh, Kirk back the Enterprise, and Kirk wants Spock back as his first officer, and they're on their way. Right. And basically, Marcus just wants Harrison dead. Completely. Yeah. Um, basically sit at the edge of the neutral zone, fire a new long-range torpedo, mm-hmm. um, because Harris is, Harrison is on an isolated section of Kronos, and just basically obliterate him, kill him without a trial, right. which is something that Spock has total misgivings for. Right. As well as Scotty. Yeah. And Scotty totally objects to the the photon torpedoes that are on board, you know, he questions why his transwarp beaming has now been purposed by Starfleet and they're making the thing mm-hmm. as, you know, as a tool for, in this case, destruction, you know, as a getaway. Right. Um, and in, in a shocking kind of moment, Scotty says, you know, I'm, I'm resigning my commission and Kirk accepts it. Right. Yeah. And that totally blew me away. Right. Uh, how, he how he wanted think? to get Harrison. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah. Um, it was basically... A, uh, Pike uh, was like a father figure uh, to right. Kirk. So. Oh, yeah. And it, it makes sense. And, and I get that. Like, you know, Kirk is out for revenge. Mm-hmm. And... You know, Marcus is saying, well, you can basically kill him. And Kirk's like, all right, I'll do just that. And uh, I think with Scotty pushing back, um, you know, Kirk was like, well, whatever, fine, leave. And I I, I think it was great for Scotty to stand up in what he believed in and, you know, what Starfleet believes in, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, don't you know, don't kill anyone without a trial. Right. And um, it seemed like for the most part, a lot of the senior crew were kind of wary about this whole thing. Right. And, um, then we, that's when we meet, um, uh, Carol Wallace, (laughs) right. (laughs) A weapons expert. Who's also a science officer. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was funny that, um, Spock, was like, well, why do we need another science yeah. officer? Right. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Like, okay, Spock, you're not <laughs> like he, he's got a bit of an ego, even even though he might not want to admit it. Right. He seemed it was kind of like a jealousy moment. I, I thought, like, um, like why does my captain need another <laughs> another science officer? Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I thought that was pretty funny because he's just like, "What is going on?" Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So basically, they don't Starfleet. They're they're telling Kirk they're ordered. You know, don't open these. Uh, don't open these photon torpedoes. Don't do anything with them. Just <laughs> fire them. That's it. Right. I I thought it was funny that. Uh, Kirk obviously needed his chief engineer to sign off on these in order to get these on board. Um, yeah. So he gives Chekhov 
the position, which I thought was kind of weird. Um, yeah, he because um, ever since I saw the trailer and I saw the trailer with Chekhov in a red shirt, mm-hmm. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, and then he basically looks over to Chekhov and is like, hey, do you got any? engineering experience and he's like uh yeah a little bit well you're chief engineer like scotty didn't have an assistant or yeah like he's the only one in the engineering department (laughs) i mean (laughs) and clearly we see so many people in engineering at any one time it's like can you at least promote a dedicated engineer right so yeah i i thought that was a little weird and i get it it's to have one of the main characters down there, but right. and he could have at least some comical um, situations. Yeah, I, I thought it would have made more sense if maybe they had he had Chekhov supervise the engineers and mm-hmm. kind of let them do the work, where it seemed like Kirk was just relying on Chekhov to to get these repairs done. And that's what it seemed like um, later on uh, yeah. when the Enterprise is damaged. Yeah, hold on. I am going to move because the I'm right near my door mm-hmm. and it's kind of loud because of my neighbors. Ah. Alright, so now it's super dark in here. Oh hey. hey I know. Um <laughs> Starfleet okay. Escape Podcast at night. <laughs> at dark. Um okay. So they before they get to Kronos. Oh, mm-hmm. wait, before that, um, Spock does a little bit of investigating into Carol Wallace. Right. And um, actually finds out that she's Carol Marcus. Right. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, Carol Marcus. Right. Um, Kirk's lover. Kirk's lover. So in this Your... movie, I thought was going to be potential love interest well especially with that um that still scene of her in her um undies which when the scene i mean we'll go in into that in a little bit but that whole scene um like why are you getting undressed in a shuttlecraft like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like well, yeah uh, I, well. I thought that was kind of weird um but anyways, before they get to Kronos, um, the ship is knocked out of warp, uh-huh. and apparently there was a coolant leak, and they're 20 minutes away from Kronos. So Kirk, uh, Kirk gets uh, Uhura, who knows Klingon, and Spock, and a couple of uh, lieutenants, mm-hmm. and he gives Sulu the comm for the first time. Right. And... Uh, to with orders to contact Harrison before they arrive and demand his surrender. Which I thought he did a very good job. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, they they use... And here, in um, in Memory Alpha, it does say that um, the they confiscated the shuttle from the mud incident. Yeah. So I think I misheard that, and I was like, the what now? The shuttle yeah. from the what? <laughs> right. And... <laughs> Um, so I didn't know. So, yeah. And if anyone that had no idea what the comics were talking about, but did hear that, I think they would just assume that it was Harry Mudd. Cause that's what I did originally. Yeah. And if, um, and if I would have heard that during my, 
uh, showing of it, mm-hmm. I would have made the same conclusion. Like mud, mud incident. Oh, nice, Harry Mud. Yeah, exactly. Like I wouldn't even thought about the comics. So, right. Even if you didn't read the comics, you still have a sense of oh, there's a little continuity thing. Right. Yeah. Which they should have just kept it that way. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was a little weird. But yeah. um, um, so they're piling the shuttle. And Sulu sends his message uh, to Harrison, and I thought that was awesome. Sulu, Sulu's message, and I'm not going to spoil it, but mm-hmm. he sounded so, like, kick-ass at yeah. that time. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, give Sulu a captain already. Kind of hinting that he eventually becomes a captain. Right. Like in the Prime Universe. Um, I, yeah, I, I thought that was a great moment for Sulu. Totally. It would have been good to have seen that in the Prime Universe before he became captain of the Excelsior. Right. And I, I think that's a good little moment that this movie does. Um, that the original series didn't do at all. Right. Um, did we ever see Sulu take the con in um, in the original series? It was always mm-hmm. Scotty. It seemed like if if Kirk and Spock were gone, it always seemed like Scotty was the one in charge. Yeah, I, I can't recall him ever sitting in the captain's chair. I, I know in the other Star Trek movies, we did get a little bit more sense of Sulu's. Um, I think we saw him take com- or the con in one of the movies before he became captain. Hmm. I, I'm trying to remember, but um, but yeah, like I, I think this was a good moment that uh, you know how many ever movies they do going forward. You know, if there's a Star Trek three, uh, whatever. Um, it's nice that they're laying that foundation now or right. hinting at what's supposed to happen anyways. Right. So, um, yeah, they get to Kronos and they're chased. Oh, wait, no, go ahead. Oh, oh uh, well, I, I thought it was kind of weird how fast they were able to get to Kronos. Like, even if they were on the border of the neutral zone, it seemed like they got there from Earth to the neutral zone an uh, incredible time. Um, yeah, it, it did seem that way. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I will have to see the movie again. Because um, yeah. it, like it, like- it seemed like a lot of it happened in the course of a day. Uh, that's what it sounded like they, they, they said. Um, so it, it seemed like they were... It might have adapted that transwarp te- uh, transporter technology and adapted it to their engines because it seemed like they were crazy fast. I I think what um what it really means is that I I, I guess that you know with the fast paced nature of the first movie, mm-hmm. you know the timeline was a little blurred because it always seemed like they were going 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 right um. And this movie definitely, I I thought this movie was fast paced, but not as fast paced as the first movie. Right. It seemed like there was a lot more character moments. They were kind of building it up. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. I don't know if they, we can attribute how fast they got to Kronos because of their actual warp or was Mm. it just because the movie was just that fast and it made it seem like they got there in no time. I'm uh, sure possibly. there have been some 
time, maybe a couple days, or I I don't know. No, no, I don't know. It, it seemed really fast. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> um. So yeah, they like you were saying they they got on that uh, that mud ship and made yeah, the way to which I I thought was a cool design. Oh, um, totally. It looked more traditional UFO ish mm-hmm. than um, than the typical Starfleet uh, shuttle, right? And um, so when they're flying around down there, uh, flying to Kronos, uh, we get the big reveal of why Uhura is kind of uh, <laughs> kind of mad at Spock, right? And they they kind of get into a little argument, or she wants to say her piece, mm-hmm. and. You know, she just thinks that he doesn't care. He doesn't have feelings for her. And like the whole volcano, he was ready to die without, you know, telling her goodbye or anything. Right. And, you know, Spock lays it out there that, um, that his mind meld with Pike, um, showed what Pike felt before death. And it reminded him of what he felt like when Vulcan was destroyed, but what he felt when Vulcan was destroyed was like 10,000 times more emotional than the death of one man. Right. And he told Uhura that he just doesn't want to feel that kind of pain anymore. So they, they make up, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. Um, but what, what? <laughs> no, I, I thought that, I mean, there was an interesting scene and everything. Uh, but I don't know. I, I thought it was unnecessary. I, I know that they do it because they wanted it more. I don't know. Someone with a relationship on in the movie, probably. Yeah. But I thought it kind of took away from uh, something that something more important that could have been in the movie instead. Um, I, I'll have to disagree with that. Okay. Um, just because I like that they're still developing uh, Uhura and Spock's. Uh, relationship mm-hmm. again it, it might not have been the best time to discuss that like kirk said like yeah. he's like really we're doing this now yeah but um yeah but i i still think a scene to address their relationship was still needed um because i actually like spock and Uhura's relationship in these two movies mm-hmm. um i thought it was a big surprise in the first movie but I like oh, totally. how they're how they're still developing it in the second one. Yeah. Um, but um, then they're being fired on by Klingons <laughs> with yep. the new uh, bird of praise. Now, I actually, after seeing the bird of praise in the movie, liked the design. Mm-hmm. Um, their um, building block counterparts uh, don't do them justice. You mean that uh, that Creo? Yeah. Yeah, because because I was going off that for the 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 whole look of the of the bird of praise, which obviously isn't can never be as detailed as the actual thing. Exactly, and they looked amazing. They did. Um, I loved I loved that they kept the wings going up and up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I thought that was I thought that was pretty sweet. Yeah, basically it's it's like the bird of prey except without the the nose with the beak at the end it's more of just like a tucked in like head kind of yeah yeah i mean there's definitely there's still like a beak shape on it but Mm -hmm. it was much more compact right and 
those are definitely shuttles, um, like Klingon shuttles, but I, I like that design lineage. I still like that even though they're shuttles or they're dropships or whatever those were, mm-hmm. they still follow that, that bird of prey design. Right. Um, so yeah, they, they ha- they're forced to land and, uh, yeah. So, uh, or her goes out there speaking Klingon. Yeah. And- <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so, in the Prime Universe, Uhura, and I've mentioned this before, I uh, couldn't speak right. Klingon, and uh, the actress uh, opposed that in, the, in Star Trek VI, uh, mm-hmm. but it's still, you know, canon. And it was used for, like, comedic relief. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then in this universe, she she said she wasn't that great in Klingon, uh, but she was able right. to uh, speak it. And I, I think that's, again, another um, another change in the timeline that maybe resulted because of Nero, uh, yeah. especially Nero being captured by the Klingons and maybe the Klingons becoming more aggressive and maybe Klingon is being taught more at the Academy just because of this so-called like potential war coming up. Right. So... That's that's how I'm <laughs> justifying it. Justifying it, yeah. And um, I love the new Klingon makeup. I, I thought it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's um, interesting how they had like uh, rings in the ridges, like uh, jewelry pieces in the ridges. Yeah, I, I noticed that too, and I I think that's kind of cool. I mean, that you know, it, it kind of reminded me of like a pirate. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And and that's the thing. Like, We didn't get a sense if these Klingons were from the actual Klingon military, if you know they were from you know that one particular province. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't get any sense of that. So who knows? Right. But basically a huge fight, firefight. Um, Harrison is kicking ass. Yeah, he jumps in to the rescue. Yeah, kind of. And he's got, like, not only uh, a blaster, but some kind of, like, phaser cannon. Yeah, it's like, maybe he, like, ripped it off a Klingon, of the Klingon Bird of Prey and started using it to fire. Yeah, that was, it was an amazing sequence. And we got to see uh, the new Batleth uh, design. Yeah, that was an interesting design. Uh, I thought it was cool. I want one. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I have a Batleth. It doesn't look like the um, the next generation Batleth. It's just it's still long. It has three um, yeah grips and has like points on it for whatever. Um, but this design is definitely cool and not and doesn't look like Kalesses either. Um, it looks Why, like it's it looks like a, a newer design. Yeah. Uh, with more spikes, if that's even possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, it, it was very quick, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I did notice that it was a new design. Yeah. So yeah, he um, he basically wipes the floor with these Klingons and kills a ton of them. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so basically, um, then he turns the cannon on Kirk and says, "How many of those torpedoes do you have?" And he says 72. And Harrison just is like, oh, okay, I surrender. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. And Kirk is like, all right, 
and then starts punching the hell out of him. Right. With no effect to Harrison. I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, Kirk wailed on the guy, and he yeah. and Kirk was getting tired. Yeah, and yeah. Harrison's just like nothing. Right. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, it was definitely a good to show that Harrison wasn't an ordinary uh, run-of-the-mill uh, human. Yeah. Um. I thought it, I thought it was pretty shocking, like the level of brutality that Kirk was unleashing on him. Right. Because any any other man would be practically unconscious or near you know pretty much near death right the the amount of that kirk was inflicting on him Mm -hmm. so harrison's on the brig mccoy gets a blood sample what i thought was cool was that little contraption that opened up the partition that was great it was like it was like the glass was movable and that this ring could like open and expand yeah and it was it was almost like a touch screen like because mccoy just like flicked it right and yeah. opened it up with like one of those motions yeah and and the partition opened up it was it was weird it was totally weird it definitely wasn't a regular it wasn't a force field as we know it no it, it wasn't it was um I want to say just because later in the movie, um, mm-hmm. Scotty bangs on it, and it's clearly like a material. It's like blong. Yeah, and know, so, uh, know what it probably is? Transparent aluminum. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's crazy that whatever properties they were able to figure out with it, they have this like little device. Yeah, that that can like move it around like it's nothing. It it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So Harrison gives Kirk a set of coordinates mm-hmm. and then he tells, he basically dares Kirk to open one of the torpedoes. Mm-hmm. So S- Kirk calls Scotty and Scotty's at a bar. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I feel like he uses a regular standard Starfleet communicator to uh, contact Scotty from across interstellar space from the neutral zone to earth. No, not a problem because not Kirk's, a problem? no, no, no. Here's the thing. Okay. Um, cause obviously the communicators are also tied in with the ship systems. Yep. So obviously Kirk was just dialing out using the enterprises. subspace signals, but see, nope. I, I think there would still be some <laughs> delay. No, I don't. We, we've seen in the star Trek universe that even in Kirk's time, there there was no delay with subspace communications. Uh, I don't know. I'm skeptical, but I'll allow it. <laughs> You'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> I say you're 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 misguided, my friend. Okay. Um. But yeah. Um. Kirk admits that Scotty was right, and Scotty's mm-hmm. like, "Ha! Apologies. Accepted." Yeah. And um. The Enterprise is still disabled, and um, so they basically go to this plant. Oh, one thing mm-hmm. I forgot to mention. When they got to Kronos, the Klingon moon of Praxis was exploded already. See, Marty said that as well. I wasn't quite sure if it was Praxis or not. I mean, it could very well be uh, Praxis. Mm. But, I mean, it could be another moon or interstellar body that was there. Yeah, it could be, but 
I don't know. Maybe I, I took that as a visual cue that it was practice. Yeah, so did Marty. I mean, I didn't really see it well enough because uh, I'm not exactly used to the 3D. This was the first 3D movie I've ever seen. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So I, I, it took me a while to get adjusted to what was going on. Uh, yeah. So I just saw rocks and didn't think anything of it. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, rocks. Uh, but it probably was Praxis. Yeah, I mean, it, to like the brief glance I saw, it definitely had like a moon shape to it, but it was just like broken apart. Right. And immediately my mind was like, oh, Praxis, it's, yeah. it's exploded. Like it, it already happened. <laughs> um. Which, which again, shades of the prime timeline, because mm-hmm. who knows, Nero's incursion may have forced the Klingons to mine it faster, mm. which means it exploded earlier than it should have in the prime timeline. That's true. Or Nero blew it up, destroying those voice oh, ships. Nap. Yeah. That could be it too. Yeah, that's a good point. Because it what a hey, Nero ship was a mining ship. Maybe Nero mined it. Maybe Nero mined Praxis to power his ship. Maybe. The, oh, see, we're, we're Star Trek nerds. We're figuring this shit out. <laughs> um, so, so basically, um, they go to a planetoid in the Chrono system um, to safely detonate or to safely quarantine a torpedo on the planetoid without damaging the ship. Right. Um, so yeah, Marcus is kind of talking with Kirk and she basically disrobes for no reason. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) I think it was to change into a hazmat suit, hazmat uniform or whatever. Right. Um, and then they, Kirk tells McCoy to go with her, which infers, um, in the prime timeline, when McCoy said that, oh, I've never performed surgery on a torpedo before. Yeah. And I, I love that. I, lo- I Immediately, they're like, oh, surgery on a torpedo. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they're, they're doing it. Yep. Um, and they are able to open it up and find... People? A person? Cryotube. Yeah, cryotube. Done. No, it was, I thought the 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 um, back and forth between uh, McCoy and Marcus was uh, rather amusing, and then Kirk being like, "Shut up, McCoy!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, he's like, "Shut up!" She's the weapons expert. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I thought that was uh, pretty funny. Yeah, um, and then we find out that the court, uh Scotty and uh, uh, Keenzer. Um, mm. who was in the first movie. I'm glad that he was. he's still around. Uh, I thought it was funny that he also resigned his commission. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that was really funny. He just, he kind of looks at his pad and hands it to Kurt too and yeah. walks away with Scotty. I, I love that. Yeah. Um, it, it's so funny to see that, that him and Scotty have such a good friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think that, that Kinzer is Scotty's either assistant or maybe second in command of engineering. I would think so as well. That's what I got from the game as well. Oh, is, 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 is Kinzer in the game? Yeah, he's in the game. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I really have to play this game. I know we talked about the, the glitches and all that stuff, yeah. but it really looks like I have to play this. Yeah, we, we definitely need to uh, co-op it. 
Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I'll I'll be getting it soon, hopefully. Cool. Um, so, so we all know where this is going. McCoy uh, opens the, you know, he examines the cryotube, and the person inside is three hundred years old. What? Yeah. So they. They find out that all the torpedoes have bodies in them, mm-hmm. and they go to Harrison. Kirk and Spock go to Harrison, and they find out that he is Khan Noonien Singh. Oh snap! Oh my God! And that he and his crew were in space at the end of the 20th century because they were. We all know the story. Yeah, although and he puts another twist on his story, trying to make he, him seem um, like a good guy. Yes. Um. And he said that he um, put, wait, wait. So they find out that, um, or we find out through Khan that um, Marcus found uh, Khan's cryo ship after the Kelvin incident and only he was awoken. Right. Uh, Marcus wanted to use his intellect and his brutal savagery uh, to prepare for this potential war with the Klingons. Know what I thought was a missed opportunity in this? What was that? Uh, having a flashback to the time when uh, he's awoken on the cryo ship. I agree because if I mean we saw we saw in the first movie Spock did the mind meld flashback where mm-hmm. we got the backstory there. So I don't know why instead of and. And Cumberbatch, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, he has a wonderful voice. Oh yeah, but we don't need to stare at him. We can we can have him narrate the flashback. Yeah, and I I, I don't know. I'm hearing an echo. That's weird. Okay, um, but okay, um, that was a missed opportunity because we could have got it, gotten to see maybe a reimagined uh, SS Botany Bay. Yeah, that's we exactly what I wanted to say. Yeah, we could have saw uh, Marcus in an older uniform, like from the Kelvin. Mm. Like Marcus was the one that found him. Right. Um, so definitely the timeline has also been altered because of Nero, because Khan was found much earlier than he should have been. Right. Yep. And it seemed like he was working with Starfleet to some capacity because... Marcus called him a Starfleet officer. Right. Uh, uh, commander, I believe. Yeah. And uh, we find out that it was only a year ago that he was found out. So after Kelvin, after Nero, um, obviously Admiral Marcus was trying to scour the galaxy for some answers mm-hmm. and came across uh, Khan's ship. Right. And we, we don't know how long it's been since the event end of the events of the first movie, because obviously the um, Kirk and, and company were doing some missions right already with the enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, um, yeah. Uh, McCoy mentions when he's with Marcus on the planet that he um, delivered Gorn triplets which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, and I I think that's a reference to the movie. I I can't. Re- I mean, sorry, the game. Uh, I I think he mentions in the game that he does do that. Is there an opportunity in a game where McCoy delivers corn babies? I uh, maybe I don't remember now. It's, it's it has been a, a couple of weeks since I played the game. 
Okay, well, um, I, I do love how they're referencing the the comic and the movie, right? Or, or and the game and in the movie, I, I I'm I'm very glad that they're doing those kinds of things. Yeah. So, yeah, um, Marcus put Khan's uh, crew in torpedoes, or no, um, Khan put his crew into the torpedoes uh, because he didn't want them to be found. Okay. And that he escaped and committed these terrorist acts. Um, oh no, Marcus. I'm sorry. Marcus put um, Marcus put the Khan's crew into the cryo tubes in the torpedoes, assuming that Khan would never find out. And Khan um, committed the terrorist acts on the assumption that his crew had been killed. Mm. So then something amazing happens because another ship is approaching the enterprise, but it's not from Klingon space. And go ahead, <laughs> um, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. So, well, did we mention what uh, happened in Jupiter? Oh, right. Oh, I think we skipped over that. Yeah. Um, Scotty, like before they, before the con reveal, yeah. uh, they switched back to Scotty and Kinzer uh, flying to Jupiter and they fly past Europa and they find this really large shipyard. Right. And I find it hard to believe that no one noticed this shipyard because it would have to be massive to house uh, the ship that it houses. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they, um, so Scotty actually sneaks in, with a group of shuttles that Which, are whoever is the um, <laughs> in charge of letting shuttles onto or into this uh, shipyard should be fired immediately because why would anyone let say there were 20 shuttles that were going in right right and then there's tw- a 21st shuttle that just joins the group <laughs> and goes in it reminds me of independence day yeah, when, <laughs> when uh, the hijacked um, ship from 1942 right, right, right. joins, we, we, and goes we, to we the mothership. Basically, like, oh, that shuttle was—I mean, 1942. So that that shuttle could have been an outdated, uh, outdated um, model. And so, why didn't the aliens notice that? It's exactly. yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. But um, then we get this reaction shot of Scotty, like he's seen something amazing, and it's like, right. dun, dun, dun. Con reveal, <laughs> and then a ship is perched in the Enterprise, not from planned space. Um, oh. And yeah. it's an enormous... Vengeance? <laughs> yes. The it Vengeance. Is. It's the huge Dreadnought-class starship. Yes. Um, <laughs> and... Who is in control of it, but none other than Admiral Marcus. Side note, Peter Weller, who plays Admiral Marcus, is Mm -hmm. playing his second Star Trek bad guy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And what is it with Starfleet uh, flag officers going crazy and doing things like this? It is pretty much a standard of the original series. And I'm kind of glad that they left it you know, Marcus being this crazy n- nut guy. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't think he's crazy. I just think that he is really 
motivated and convinced that this war is coming. Right. And he just wants to prepare for it. And especially you can you can tell with the events of the first movie and Nero's ship and Earth being attacked, of course they're gonna want to prepare and create a new class of ship. Right. So I don't think I don't think Marcus was crazy. He's just driven by war. Right. And that's not what Starfleet is about. I think right. he got a little power hungry. Yeah, totally. I, w- I wouldn't call him crazy. I would just say that um, he's trying to do Starfleet's dirty work, much like Section 31. Right. I think he also wants to be the one that says, hey, look, I'm the guy you need to, uh, uh, to solve your problem with the Klingons. I'm going to be your, your savior. Yeah, he, he basically wants to prove to Starfleet that, that he's the guy. He can lead this war effort. Yeah. And that's probably for personal glory. Right. So um, Kirk says that, um, you know, the reason Marcus was there was because earlier Kirk sent a communication to Starfleet saying that they captured Harrison, not killed him. Right. Um, <laughs> and um, Kirk tells Admiral Marcus that he had issues killing Harrison. <laughs> um, and Marcus is like, well, y- you've sided with Khan, so I'm going to kill you now. Right. And, um, and, and, and yeah, he tells uh, Chekhov to make them go to warp, which... Mm-hmm. Chekhov advises is not being inadvisable because he still hasn't fixed all the problems. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So they go to warp anyway and start heading toward Earth. Um, Kirk, which was Con- pretty quick. Again, yeah. Because they're going, and then all of a sudden, the well, the other, sh- the other, the vengeance catches up with them and starts. Yeah. Blowing them up. Well, a, a little bit, a little bit before that, um, mm-hmm. as as they're warping away, yeah. um, Kirk asked Khan about the vengeance because obviously he had some hand in designing it. Right. And he says it's a dreadnought, twice as big, three times as fast, and has immense uh, weapon abilities. It's not for exploration. It's a warship, right? Which uh, Starfleet doesn't do a lot of, and. Um, right. McCoy injects Khan's blood into a <laughs> dead triple. Right. Which, uh, I, which I thought was hilarious. And as soon as I saw that triple, I thought of you. Oh, thank you. I was, I was like, Mark, or I was like, Aaron is going to love this. There's a triple. <laughs> yes. It needed a cameo. Definitely. So, um, uh, Khan uh, tells Carol Marcus that they're not safe at warp speed, and Carol rushes to the bridge and says that the ship can go faster than it can catch up to you in warp. And Kirk's kind of like, what are you talking about? And all of a sudden, the the vengeance, like, Sulu's like, I don't know what these readings mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I I, I take it that um, I took that as um it, it's that there is probably before the enterprise there was no ship faster than the enterprise okay yeah so yeah she was the top of, of the line yeah so now all of a sudden this dreadnought catches up to them and just unleashes on uh on the enterprise which 
knocks them out of warp. Mm-hmm. And right near Earth. Right near Earth. Right near Earth yeah. and the moon. Yep. And um, Marcus basically accuses Kirk, has, has gone rogue, and fires on the ship again. But before the Enterprise can be destroyed, and it gets heavily beat the hell up. Oh, yeah. Um, all of a sudden, the whole vengeance ship shuts down. And it's because of Scotty. Yes. <laughs> See, they should fire that guy. And how, I mean, don't they have internal sensors? <laughs> they can't tell that there's a guy running around that shouldn't be there? Well, um, Khan makes the point that um, the vengeance is designed to operate with a minimal crew. Right. It can even be operated by one person. Right. So, obviously, um, Admiral Marcus uh, took a very small crew. And That's it is true. a huge ship. It dwarfs the Enterprise. It does. Yep. So, I, I have no problems with Scott, Scotty being able to run around the ship. Oh, no, I, I, no, I think he can run around the ship, but I feel as though they should be able to tell that there is a... Uh, someone else that shouldn't be there uh, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you know, this say there's 20 guys on board. Oh, look, the 21st guy. Who the heck is that? Can someone <laughs> go down and, and see who that is? Yeah. Um, I, personally, I think they were more worried about getting their ship back uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> on that's track. True. Um, so Kirk does the one thing that I thought would never happen. Um, he asked for Khan's help. <laughs> right. Um, and I have to say, um, for for in in the movie theater, as soon as Harrison revealed that he was Khan, uh-huh. there were some mixed reactions. Like there was a few people that were like, "Oh," and a few people that were like, "Oh," <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was it was definitely mixed. I right. and and. I I had a feeling. We've all had a feeling. Yep, Marty will that, tell you that he knew since uh, 2009 that it was Khan. <laughs> yeah, I I had my suspicions. I didn't yeah. want to believe it. Right. Um, but I was surprised. I mean, I wasn't really surprised, but I was surprised. You know. Right. Yep. Um, and. Uh, I, I don't know. I think, um, and, and we'll probably go over the final thoughts in the movie, but mm-hmm. anyways, um, I, I'm just really excited about this movie. It, it was great. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, um, they start to, um, do this, um, they, 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 they do this thing where they line up the airlocks Okay. And yep. they want Scotty to open uh, the Vengeance's airlocks manually. And while Khan and Kirk do this thruster space flight, which right. is freaking amazing. Oh, yeah, it is. That was one of the, I thought, one of the best action sequences in the film. Yeah, uh, totally. Just because in 3D, it looked nuts. Yeah, it did. And as Kirk is flying around, there's, in space, there are, like, little tiny rocks that are everywhere. Uh, right. Let alone, uh, forget about the debris field from uh, the Enterprise, or mm-hmm. what else is, whatever else is there. There are little rocks. So as he's flying around this debris, uh, smack, a little rock hits his uh, helmet and starts to crack it. 
And I thought that was great that we basically got Kirk's perspective mm-hmm. um, in, in, in the suit. Like we were seeing through his eyes and seeing a crack like that when you're flying in space, that's like the last thing that you <laughs> yeah, totally. I was like, Oh God, he's going to die. Like what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, as that's going on, Spock tells, uh, Uhura to patch him through to new Vulcan. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, Oh, new Vulcan, like in the star Trek game. Yep. And then Holy shit. <laughs> it's ambassador Spock. Yes. Like prime universe Spock. And I, as I was completely slack jawed when, <laughs> when, when he came up, I had absolutely no freaking idea that he would be in this movie oh see i I was (laughs) i i had avoided spoilers okay yeah i i I knew that last year uh nimoy did his last uh convention appearance i thought we would never see him again yeah and holy shit when (laughs) ambassador spot came on screen the whole theater that I went to burst out in applause. Oh, really? It was awesome. Like, Man, I sure went to was... Chicago. Jeez, everyone in Boston was didn't do anything. Uh, Chicago, I, I love going to these Star Trek <laughs> things in Chicago because people, like opening weekend, you see the Trekkies. Really? Uh, but I had no idea that Spock was going to be in this. Did yeah. you? Uh, see, I talked to Clive, um, who had seen it a week in advance of us because he lives in England, and uh, he Please told don't me. Tell me he spoiled that. Uh, yeah. Well, I kind of asked. Oh, I didn't tell him about. Sp- uh, I didn't ask him about Spock. I asked him about uh, Harrison, and uh, then he kind of mentioned uh, Spock, um, kind of like. Oh. And I was like, oh. Really? I was like, oh, okay. Well, now I know. <laughs> and that's why, like, I hope no one listens to this podcast before seeing the movie. <laughs> because um, I I'm, I usually like spoilers. I like to spoil mm-hmm. myself, um, like with movies and TV shows and stuff. Right. But I made it a point to not spoil this movie. Like, I knew we might get con and this and that. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, going into this movie with no spoilers, mm-hmm. I I was I was pleasantly surprised at every turn. Like Ambassador Spock, I was like, What? <laughs> I didn't even know he was gonna be in this. Right. And I thought it was a great conversation uh between him him and himself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, you know, Spock in our time says um that he doesn't want to alter his younger self's destiny, but he'll make an exception in this case. Right. And he says that Khan is ruthless and is one of the most um, formidable opponents that they have ever faced, which right. is true. Right. Um, and that they defeated Khan, but at a terrible cost. Right. Which, if you're a fan, you know that, oh no, Spock died. You're like, <laughs> right. oh god, right. is this going to happen again? What's going to happen? Right. So, um, um, Carol Marcus was beamed onto the Vengeance because Admiral Marcus 
didn't want her getting hurt. Right. But um, she basically says that she's ashamed to be his daughter. Right. And they all head to the Kirk and Khan and Scotty head to the bridge. Epic fights. Um, and Khan just, it shows the power of Khan that we never fully got to see in the original series or Wrath of Khan. Right. We saw Khan's strength when he picked up Chekhov. Right. But we yep. never we never saw him in a fight. Um, and he when he punched someone, well, he went flying back like twenty feet. That's true. We we did see him fight Kirk in Space Seed, but oh, that's right. It wasn't anywhere near uh, this Khan. No. no, not even close. And it harkens back to what we saw the augments were capable of in the Enterprise, uh, like two-parter. Right. Um, we, I enjoyed we, that. we saw their strength there, yeah. but we never saw Khan's strength. And uh, it was it was kind of awesome to watch him fight because it was mm-hmm. brutal. Totally. Um, so they get they get back on they get to the bridge and um, uh, Spock tells McCoy to uh, extract all the cryotubes from the torpedoes. Uh-huh. And Kirk places Admiral Marcus uh, under arrest. Scotty stunned uh, Khan mm-hmm. because Kirk told him to. And then, um, but as that's going on, as Kirk is arresting Marcus, Khan is not phased by a stun blast. Right. And he takes out Scotty. And then he breaks Carol Marcus's leg. And in one of the most brutal, uh, even though we didn't see it, yeah, um, it's probably one of the most brutal things I've seen in Star Trek, or implied. Right. Uh, because Khan literally crushes Admiral Marcus's skull in his, in his hands. Right. And I was completely blown away by that. It just showed how ruthless... Uh, Khan really is. Yes, totally. Um, Khan uh, tells Enterprise to, uh, to give them the tor- to give him the torpedoes. Spock refuses, um, but then you know, Kurt or Khan is like, "Hey, I, I can just." Khan is like, "I can just kill you anyway. My crew is frozen. You have no say in this." Right. So Spock does transport the torpedoes over, uh-huh. and then they proceed to blow them the hell up because the cryotubes aren't in there anymore. <laughs> blow right. <laughs> right. That was uh, pretty epic. Yeah, and the vengeance is severely crippled. Um, but once you know, once um, the Enterprise is still suffering from damages. And the engines completely give out, and the main power goes out. And since they were between Earth and the moon, the Earth's gravity takes over, mm-hmm. and the Enterprise starts plummeting towards Earth. Right. Um, Spock tells everyone to abandon ship, but the crew refuses. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirk and Scotty go to engineering, and in another great sequence, um, as the ship is tumbling, I thought... The use of the sets were pretty epic. Yeah, totally. Um, the grav plating was um, going off and on, I guess. Yeah, it, it, 
it was implied that um that the gravity nets were going down and that the crew was just being um pummeled the around by the, by the iner- the inertia the gravity yeah like the gravity well of earth yeah and what happened in uh, Star Trek Nemesis at the end of Star Trek Nemesis the seatbelts we yeah. see seatbelts in Star Trek again. Yeah, I, I actually did not like that, but I was willing to accept it again. Okay, why did you not like it? I don't know. I, I feel like seatbelts that magically appear and fasten themselves, I mean, I can deal with like things that pop out and then you have to fasten it yourself. Yeah, I, I like that we had seatbelts, but mm-hmm. I, you're right. I didn't like how it was like magical, foldy technology. Yeah, because I mean, even when uh, in the first movie, when he's on that shuttlecraft, Kirk, uh, it's like regular seatbelts that he has to. Yeah, like, they're fabric. Yeah, seatbelts. Yeah, they're normal with the normal clasp and all that stuff. Exactly. Um, and even in Nemesis, they they popped out, but they were still um, they were still fabric. Even in Star Trek Nemesis. Mm. So um, Kirk and Scotty get to engineering, and they find out that the whole warp core chamber is loaded with lethal radiation. What? <laughs> it is Mother Effin Star Trek 2. <laughs> exactly. But dun 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 with a twist in this new universe. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I completely love it. Um, I, I dig it. Yeah. Kirk decides to fix um, fix it himself, much yeah. like Spock did in the original timeline. Well, it's not something that is uncharacteristic of Kirk either, because he did it right. in uh, Generations. Yeah. Kirk will... I mean, he's he's one of the best captains. He would sacrifice... He would give his life for his crew to protect people. Yeah. And I think that's one of the main driving lessons that he learns in this movie. Yeah. Um, and it's what pike wanted him to do he wanted to learn this lesson that listen you're responsible for 400 something people you know you can't take risks without you know knowing the consequences behind them Mm -hmm. and um in in this amazing sequence kirk you know is able to um knock the uh injector into place and um the the enterprise gets its warp power and is able to float in the atmosphere now all the thrusters are back online right um and then scotty calls spock to engineering and it <laughs> it's like star trek 2 all over again but exactly. reversed yeah and it's insane yeah um and there's this great moment between kirk and spock that i think um is done even better than the death scene in Wrath of Khan. I have to disagree with you. Okay. Um, I I thought that in the Prime Universe it was it was more um, emotional. At least for me, it was more emotional to see um, Kirk. Uh, oh, sorry, see Spock uh, die in uh, um, in that sequence. I I, I thought that this. Yeah, and and you're right. I see. In, I, I, I think, thought. I think in 
Wrath of Khan, it was all built up because you've followed them for so many adventures. Mm-hmm. There was more weight behind it. Yeah, um, and I thought that Spock was way too emotional. Even if he's half human, I, I thought that the ever since he's gotten a girlfriend, he's gotten way too sissy. I I think that um, while Spock was pretty emotional in this, and mm-hmm. I, I agree, maybe a little too emotional, um, we have to still keep in mind that this is quite a number of years before, um, you know, they're, they're still pretty young. This is That's 22, true. this is 2259. Mm-hmm. Kirk's original five-year mission didn't begin until 2265. So they're at least six years behind where they're supposed to be. That's true. It's a younger Spock. It's a younger Spock that we saw that was emotional in the pilot episode of the original series where he cracked a smile. Right. So I'm giving him a little leeway in that. I I suppose you could. And he also, his mother died, Falcons destroyed. So I guess there is that like, you know, Spock's like, Oh man, everything I've ever loved is going away. I I guess I could see that um, kind of building up. Um, and and that's how I took it because I took it as he's not as mentally disciplined as he is in Star Trek Two Wrath of Khan time, mm-hmm. where that's like you know fifteen years since the start of the original series. He's right. you know a fully mature Vulcan who is almost ready to go through the colonar. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I think with this new timeline, obviously we're dealing with much younger characters, and I just think we're seeing a less disciplined Spock. So I can okay. forgive him for shutting a tear or two. I, I, I dig that. I, I agree. Um, but we actually see Kirk die. Yeah, that was um, interesting. And they We've seen the still images of this. Uh, we the, saw the hand. The hand, and the Vulcan salute, and I think Kirk also tries to do the Vulcan salute, or he actually does do it. Um, he, he, yeah, he actually matches up with with uh, Spock. Mm. Um, Did you know that in the original series, William Shatner couldn't do that, so it was like a like false hand that he used. And I feel his pain because I can't do it. You can't. Uh, I I thought you already knew this. No, I did not know this. Oh man! I, I am I the biggest Trekkie. Hands. I no, I am the biggest Trekkie. I I can't I can't do it. You know what you need to do? And the, I'm being totally serious right now because when I was younger, I couldn't do it with my left hand. I would put my hand. I would do this to train myself to be able oh, to yeah. do it. Um, and I've had people tell me like to do hand exercises just to keep doing it, mm-hmm. but I, I I really can't. I I think. I, I have my hands are kind of weird. I think I have like I physically can't uh, spread them that far apart. Like I don't know, I've got some extra skin between my finger. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, I don't have web fingers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know. My fingers are a little weird. Uh, I can't even do it. I'm the biggest Trekkie, and I can't do the Vulcan salute. Mm. But that pains me. Yeah. And, and when I when I see the original series episode Journey to Babel. 
Mm-hmm. And M- McCoy's like, oh, how's that Vulcan salute go? Yeah. And Spock shows him, and then McCoy can't do it. I'm like, I feel your pain, McCoy. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I I just it, it's it's the worst. Um, yeah, I, I feel I I feel your pain. I I didn't realize that you were. I I can't do that, <laughs> <laughs> and it it pains me. I I die a little bit inside every time. <laughs> but um yeah, Kirk dies. <laughs> yeah. So. And in one of those big shocking moments, like they did this cut and it completely surprised me. The vengeance falls past the enterprise and it was kind of like this cut that you're like, Oh, Holy shit. Are you skipping like one of the uh, cheesiest parts of the movie? Am I? What Kirk, what uh, Spock says after, um, Oh, I kind of wanted to avoid that. So, um, no. Yeah, once Kirk dies, we're left uh, Spock to do the infamous con! Yeah. And I thought it was over the top. True, and I thought uncharacteristic of Spock. I I thought so, too. Um, I, I thought much of that sequence was uncharacteristic, like I said earlier but especially that where he just shouts i think uh, yeah it's uncharacteristic and i thought it was a little cheesy because if you're doing a wrath of khan remake which essentially this movie is right but not because it's more awesome but (laughs) (laughs) i i don't know if i agree but um so you're going to have some of those lines in there. Right. Unfortunately, right. the con scream, I, I don't think it was as effectively done. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You, you can't top uh, William Shatner in. Uh... <laughs> con! Um, and, and the reason that Kirk's con, because it, it was more like, Khan's like, haha, I got you, and now you're trapped, and you're gonna die, and he's just like, yeah, like, oh, Khan, you son of a bitch. Right. But Spock's Khan was like, vengeful, like, he just snapped, like... Right. Exactly. Ah. Which, yeah, I, I think we saw his Vulcan, uh, his, his Vulcan uh, emotions just, like, completely go away. Like, that was pure human at that point. Right. Right. So vengeance crashes in a pretty spectacular sequence. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Spock follows him down to capture. He beams down, and we get a pretty spectacular um, chase sequence. And then Kirk is taken to sick bay, and he's in a body bag. And Doctor McCoy suddenly looks at the dead Tribble, which begins to purr. And comes back to life. Khan's blood has magical properties, apparently. Well, which we learned at the beginning of the movie when it saves that little girl. Yes. And which was... Ties it together very nice. Yeah, it ties it together nicely. Um, It it was interesting because on the monitors for the little girl, it said uh, new genetic uh, sequence. Um, Oh, did it? it, Yeah, because... I mean, I saw it in IMAX, and I I always look at like display screens. Like I now, see, that screens. was the thing in the 3D. I couldn't focus on like 
words for some reason. Three IMAX 3D really does take some getting used to. Um, uh, I've been to enough of them to, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of, you, you kind of have to take it in all at once, right? Which is it's hard to do because if you focus at one part, it feels like you're missing things, and it's it's weird. But um, I did notice that when he, when Harrison injected the um his blood into the little girl, or I mean her um his her dad did, yeah. The monitors were saying new genetic sequence introduced. Which hints at Khan's eugenics and the genetic manipulation. Right. Um, but then they're all like, we need to get Khan's blood. We need to get Khan's blood. You have 72 eugenics. Exactly. And they just took one out to defrost while they put Kirk yeah. into this cryogenic Yeah, tube. They, they put Kirk's uh, body into cryostasis to preserve his higher brain functions. Right. So it's like, and, and McCoy was even like, keep this man heavily sedated. You know, put him in a medically induced coma. I'm like, just use his blood? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> what, do you need to kill another Tribble and use tr- test this guy's blood out to make sure? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And granted, um, and that's the thing. Like, why couldn't they just test it on another dead thing? Right. Like, I know they're trying to go after and capture Harrison, but at this point, you can just kill that guy. Yeah. And because you've got 72 people with magic blood. <laughs> and, <laughs> magic blood. And even, if, and even if you capture Harrison... I mean, just test another dead thing with with the guy you just another guy you unfroze. Right, exactly. Like, come on, and it's like you've got all the time in the world because Kirk is cryogenically frozen. Exactly. You can have him frozen for another three hundred years, and he'll right. probably come back to life. Like, so yeah, I don't get why they're all like, "Oh my God, we got to get Khan's blood." Yeah. So, anyways, Ahura beams down <laughs> during yeah. the, this epic fight, um, and Spock is just unleashing on on Harrison. Yeah. Um, thankfully, Spock has, and Vulcans in general, they have higher strength. Exactly. So, thankfully, he was uh, able to be toe-to-toe with, with Harrison. Right. Which I thought was, uh, I'm glad that they did show that, that they were not equal i think harrison probably still had an advantage yeah but we definitely saw the showcase of vulcan strength yeah uh which i thought was great right um so yeah they they're able to um they con gives or spot gives con this epic uppercut <laughs> right <laughs> And then we wake up, it's two weeks later, and Kirk is alive. Right. Dr. McCoy created the serum from uh, Khan's blood, and then uh, it's shown that Khan has been returned to his cryotube, and they're in some unknown location. Right, with the rest. Exactly. And then we get to, uh, it says one year later, so that means it's 2260. And um, Khan 
or Kirk. Why am I saying Khan? Khan's <laughs> done with. Case. Um, <laughs> done, done, done. So yeah, uh, Kirk uh, is giving uh, the rechristening of the USS Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And at first, I thought they were going to pull in Enterprise A. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people did. I, I thought, I'm like, they were doing that ship, and they were approaching from the back of the saucer. I'm like, we're going to yeah. see that A. We're going to see that A. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we don't see the A. All yeah. right. <laughs> Did the the impulse drive look different to you? Like it it it, it, it did look I it did look different to me because it was like it's expanded like a lo- a big portion of that saucer, like the back of that saucer section. Yeah, so I I really think we they I I think they totally upgraded it. Yeah, so Which they they good. refitted it. Yeah, we get the they're on their five year mission. Now, granted, this is 2260. In the prime timeline, Kirk's five-year mission began in 2265. This is beginning five years earlier. Right. So, so yeah, we're getting basically Pike. Pike's mission. Kirk is on Pike's mission. Right. From the prime timeline. Essentially, yep. And um, Kirk returns to the bridge. He relu- He relieves Sulu of the con. And we get uh, Sulu saying that, yeah, the, the power is pretty addictive, which is <laughs> awesome. Right. And then uh, Carol Marcus is now part of their crew full time. Mm-hmm. And Spock says, uh, you know, Kirk says, hey, where should we go, Spock? And Spock says that he'll trust Kirk's good judgment. <laughs> and then they, they warp off. Right. With the new warp effect. I did not like the warp effect. I didn't either. Um, yeah, I didn't like it at all. It was like these sparkly little bits. And <laughs> yeah, right. It reminded me more of uh, Firefly. When I wasn't a fan of Firefly. Well, in in Firefly, whenever the Serenity like did its hyper jump or space, whatever, yep. basically faster than light. It left behind like a smoke trail, kind of. Okay. Um, kind of like this weird burst of cloud, and it kind of reminded me of that. Um, okay. It was just this weird effect that I don't think that Star Trek needed. I, yeah. I like, I always like the that whole warping and that stretching right before they rubber band snap in the warp. Right. But I really didn't need the sparkly bits. Yeah, I, I thought the from the first movie, I thought that was probably most realistic of what warp would be like. Yeah, like yeah, in the first movie, I mean the 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 screen expands and like space starts warping, which right. what you th- expect warp to be. Exactly. And I liked in the first movie when they were in warp, it was like this it was like this warp tunnel. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this, it looks like they're in some warp tube. Because when uh, the Enterprise gets knocked out oh, right, the, by right. the Vengeance, it's like they're basically warp knocked out of this warp tube. Right. And it was kind of weird. Right. So I, I didn't like those effects as much. Yeah. Overall, what did you think of the movie? Um, overall, I thought it was a good movie. Um, it's still know, it's not in my top three movies uh, star trek movies it's definitely a good action movie okay um 
I personally would have liked more, uh, more of a, th- a thriller um, instead of action. Because mm-hmm. um, I was hoping for something more like the Wrath of Khan, where we have like these epic uh, submarine battles. Uh, but obviously, you can't do that in this type of movie. Yeah, um, I, I think I was uh, my initial reaction was like, "Oh my god, this is the best Star Trek ever!" But um, uh, that—that's me just fan geeking it out. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, now, where would you put it in relation oh to like your <laughs> like your top? Is it in your top five? I would say it's in my top five. Okay. Um, I I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to, obviously, these Star Trek movies are for the widest audience possible. Right. It's, it, it's, it's inevitable. Um, yeah. I think that, um, you know, it, it is for the widest audience available. We're going to get um, more action instead of the thriller aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if we'll ever get a more cerebral type of Star Trek movie again, right. uh, just because of current movie audiences. Yeah, but um, I, I I love the action. I I loved how the writers are using this timeline split, this alternate universe to do things similar and pull similar elements, but do mm-hmm. them in a new way. Right. And to me, that's really interesting as a fan. Yeah. yeah because totally. I like seeing the cause and effect. Well, now because of the Narada, Admiral Marcus found the con ship first and it sets off this new chain of events that are right. happening earlier than they should be in a different way. Like Kirk dying instead of Spock. I, I think it's that twist that will draw old fans in, uh-huh. whereas new fans can just be entertained by this new universe. Oh, yeah. I think new fans to to Star Trek will um, be blown away with this movie in particular. I thought, I thought that this movie uh, was better than the first J.J. movie. Well, the first one was a lot of setup. Yeah, and unfortunately, whenever you do a, a franchise reboot like Batman Begins or anything, you're always going to get the setup movie and the origin story. You're always going to get that. So it always feels to me like in these new franchises like Iron Man, like the Iron Man movie, first Iron Man movie is great. I thought the second one was better because you get past that setup and you're mm-hmm. diving into the characters more. Right. And the same goes, the same is true for this Star Trek. Right. Uh, so I think it's in my top five just because uh-huh. I love the new reality and how they're changing things up. And the Star Trek nerd in me is like thinking about all these like possibilities. Well, now because they're doing this earlier, what's going to happen? What, who are they going to run into next? Exactly. So my my bottom line is I think if you're a fan of the first movie, um, you're going to love this. Yeah. But if if you're an older Trekkie, maybe you're more set in the Prime Universe and you absolutely hated uh, the first movie, I think you're going to hate this one because it's kind of more of the same. 
in right. terms of action and uh, the effects and and the timeline. Right, and I think if they uh, thought the first one was okay, but wasn't yeah, a the, total the, the first the the first movie is not in my top five. Okay, um, but I think this one breaks into the top five for me, just because of. I, I can see how passionate the writers were and how knowledgeable they are in the continuity of the prime timeline. And they're using that to their advantage and twisting it into a new movie. I mean, obviously they loved Khan. Otherwise we yeah. wouldn't have this movie. Yeah. I, I think we were talking, we might've talked about, talked about this before. Uh, they were thinking about putting the uh, Botany Bay in the uh, end credits of the first movie. Uh, I didn't hear that. Oh yeah, it was. I think it was in the the commentary, um, the audio commentary. Oh okay. Um, they said that they didn't do that because they didn't want to be um, like nailed down into doing uh, a Wrath of Khan sequel or uh, a Wrath of Khan type movie. And you know what? For me, who completely avoided spoilers mm-hmm. uh, and the whole John Harrison thing, uh, I thought it was literally like John Harrison. This guy is a Starfleet terrorist. Yeah. Uh, the 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 con thing, even though I, you know, was wary that it might happen, mm-hmm. I was still taken by surprise because I'm like, wow, they are actually ballsy enough to go ahead and do that. Right. And I wonder if. This will alienate alienate fans of the original. Um. That's that's what I'm worried about. Because if one person hears, oh, well, Khan's in it, it ruins the buildup and the surprise of it. Right, right. Because I mean, I already I knew it was coming, so I I ha- I was braced for it. So I don't know if someone that didn't know about it how they would react. See, I, I had no knowledge that this would be happening. I walked yeah. out of that theater with the biggest grin on my face. I was so excited. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, I have to see this again. Yeah. Um, had I been spoiled it, that Khan was in the movie, had I been spoiled that Spock was in the movie, or Prime Universe Spock, mm-hmm. that would have taken away my enjoyment seeing it for the first time. I see. Yep. So... I think if an older fan, you know, a fan who's been with the franchise for a long time, who's as deep a Trekkie as I am, mm-hmm. but are more set in the prime universe, I, I think if they hear a passing that, oh, yeah, Khan's in the film, well, fuck that movie. You know, screw <laughs> the writers for trying to do that right. to remake a classic. Yeah. I, I don't see this as a remake. I see the alternate universe as a chance for them to explore similar themes and characters right. in a completely new and original way. And they're doing that. Uh, yeah. I, I thought all the twists and turns of this movie uh, were great. Yeah. And you have to, I mean, it was bound to happen. It, they were going right. to run into Khan. So either way would have happened. If it wasn't this way, it would have happened with another ship running into him or, the Klingons yeah. running into him. Someone and, would have come in. Yeah, and it seems like it's one of those, um, you know, to borrow something from from Doctor Who. It, it's like it seems like it's one of those fixed points in time, like mm-hmm. you, like in in whatever Star Trek universe, whatever multiverse in Star Trek, 
there's things that are always going to happen. You're always, someone's always going to find Khan, you know, the five-year mission of the enterprise is still going to happen no matter what. Mm. It's just, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, things he's a relic from the past. Someone was bound to come across his ship, right? Whether it was the enterprise in the prime timeline or, um, Admiral Marcus in, in, in the new one. Right. But me, I, I really like this movie. Um, I, I, I give it, you know, two thumbs up, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever we're doing. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's a great ride. Yep. Two Vulcan salutes. Uh, so thanks, uh, for listening guys. And when I come back, I will be with Marty. All right. See you guys later. This is Eric, uh, signing out. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com, on Twitter at sfescapepod, or on facebook.com slash sfescapepod. This has been a proud production of the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Check out more shows on 4iRadio.com. Beam me up, Scotty.